but today we're celebrating our four-year anniversary. Can somebody make some noise? Listen, I'm excited, and there's a lot to be grateful for. There's a lot that's happened over the past four years. Listen, we've seen tons of salvations. We've seen tons of baptisms, and those are the things that you're actually supposed to clap for, so you can clap again. Like, like those, are, those, are the things that, those are the things that matter. Man, we've seen individuals get married. We've seen individuals have babies, and, and we've ridden these mountaintops. But can I be honest with you? We've also seen the valleys. Man, we've also, we've also lost loved ones. I remember, I remember when my dad died. I'm looking out across, and I, and I, know, who's lost, I know who's lost the family members, and it hurt. And we celebrated every time a baby was born, but can I tell you, if I'm honest with you, it feels like we've had countless miscarriages at this church. I remember when we walked through it, and I remember when other people walked through it, and, and we've, been, we've been on the mountaintop, and we've been in the valleys, and the last four years has shaped us, and it's molded us, and, and we are who we are because of what we've experienced. But this is what I know. I'm grateful, I'm grateful and thankful for the mountaintops and the valleys because I am who I am because of what we've gone through. We're grateful for it. We want to give honor and, and praise for the past four years. But we're expectant for the next four years. We're looking towards the future. Hey, if you're new here, let me give you a brief history kind of recap. Uh, four years ago, we planted in our town cinemas. We were launched out of what was then CFA Concord. Uh, we were called CFA Davidson. And a year ago, we changed our name to Multiply Church, a part of the Multiply family of churches. And, and, and man, we have just seen God do some miraculous things. We're thankful for the four years. But we're expectant for the next four years. Hey, if you, uh, when you came in, there was a booklet that was in your chair. I know Brittany made the joke about the, uh, the Connect cards because this is what we found out is that people will come the first time. They're like, nope, not giving them my phone number, not giving them my email, not going to do it. And then you end up being a part of the church and you get upset that you don't know what's going on at the church. I'm like, well, you didn't give us your email, so we can't communicate with you. So fill out those cards but, but this booklet, this is what we're going to do with this booklet. This is your guide over the next six weeks. All right, I, I know last week, I, I have to confess something. Um, last week, I said, hey, give me six. Give me six straight weeks. Six straight weeks. The, the national average is that families come to church 1.5 times a month. And, and we're saying, hey, give me six straight weeks. And then we got in our staff meeting the next day, and I started looking at the preaching calendar, and I realized your boy's not going to be here one of those weeks. <laughs> I'm going to be on a mission trip to Nicaragua. <laughs> so so I, under, I understand that things happen. The Rafferty's wanted to be here today, but the Rafferty's welcomed in uh, Rich the Fifth. They have a dynasty going. So they welcomed in Rich the Fifth. If you guys are watching this later, man, we celebrate and honor you guys. So they're in New York, and they wanted to be here. But we, we know that, that you might not be able to make it all six weeks, but do your best. This is what doesn't count. Don't wake up on Sunday morning and go, man, I had a long night last night. I just need like an extra hour of sleep. I'm just not going to go. That, that doesn't cut it, Luke Watts. That doesn't cut it. Love you. It, don't, don't look outside of your window and go, oh, it's, it's raining. It's going to be too hard to get the kids up and, and get them out. And we're going to be, that, that doesn't cut it. All right, listen, we know life stuff happens, but do your best to get here for the next six weeks. Bring, these book, bring this book. It's going to be your guide every week. Uh, if you forget it, that's okay. We're going to have some at the door. But, but don't be this person. Don't be the person you were in high school 
when you got to your classroom and was like, hey, can I get a piece of paper? I forgot, I forgot my piece of paper. And, and then you tap the next neighbor and go, hey, can I get a pencil? I, f- I, forgot, I forgot my pencil. You get to math class, hey, can I borrow the calculator? I forgot, man, I forgot, I forgot my calculator. And then inevitably what would happen is that person would get to lunch and they're like, hey, can I borrow a dollar? <laughs> like, it's like, dude, I just gave you $13 worth of stuff. I'm not giving you, I'm not giving you a dollar. Don't be the person that shows up every week asking for a new book, all right? You get some grace. I'm not Jesus. You don't get that much grace, all right? <laughs> so, so make sure make sure you bring this book. It's going to be your guide. Hey, let's, let's kick, off this, kick off this series. Again, a six-week series. We're calling it our Multipliers series. Let me start off by asking you this question. Who are you? Who are you? I think it gets quiet in the room because you're trying to think about you and who you are and, and who you want to be. Better yet, Do you even know who you are? Do you even know who you are? Kicking off this first six weeks, I've I've titled this message, Multiplying Out of Identity. Multiplying Out of Identity. One of my favorite series of all time is the Chronicles of Narnia. And in the Chronicles of Narnia, I'm sure many of you have seen the movies, but in the books, there's actually a seven-series set of books And the last book is called The Last Battle, and I actually want to read part of it today, but let me give you some background. There's this scene that we're going to read, and it's a feast with the dwarves, Aslan, and Lucy. Lucy's one of the characters. The dwarves are a group of characters that are in the last book, and and Aslan is there. And throughout the last battle, the dwarves refuse to fight for either Aslan or Tash. Now, if you're not familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, let me back up just a little bit. Throughout the series, Aslan is actually a representation of Jesus. So the way that C.S. Lewis writes, he, he writes this story and he uses kind of fictional characters to describe the gospel. So Aslan is a representation of Jesus and Tash is actually the representation of the enemy or the devil. So the the dwarfs don't want to commit to one side or the other, and their rallying cry is this. The dwarfs are for the dwarfs. And at the end of the book, the dwarfs' skepticism and isolation eventually makes them unable to appreciate or value anything at all. Let me pick up the story here. Aslan said Lucy through her tears, could you, will you do something for these poor dwarfs? Dearest, said Aslan, I will show you both what I can and what I cannot do. He came close to the dwarfs and gave a low growl. Low, but it set all the air shaking. But the dwarfs said to one another, hear that? That's the gang at the other end of the stable trying to frighten us. They do this with some sort of machine. Don't take any notice. They won't take us again. Then Aslan raised his head and he shook his mane. Instantly, a glorious feast appeared on the dwarf's knees. Pies and beef and poultry and and trifles and ices. And each dwarf had a goblet of good wine in his right hand. But it wasn't much use. They began eating and drinking greedily enough. But it was clear that they couldn't taste it properly. They thought they were eating and drinking only the sort of things you might find in a stable. One said he was trying to eat hay, and another said he was trying to eat a bit of old turnip, and the third said he had found raw cabbage leaves. 
And they raised golden goblets of rich red wine to their lips and said, Ugh, fancy drinking dirty water out of a trough that a donkey's been at. I never thought we'd come to this. But very soon the dwarves began suspecting that every other dwarf had found something nicer than they had. And they started grabbing and snatching and they went on quarreling till in a few minutes there was a free fight and all the good food was smeared on their faces and on their clothes or trodden underfoot. But at last when they sat down to nurse their black eyes and their bleeding noses, they all said, well, at any rate, there's no humbug here. We haven't let anyone take us in. The dwarfs are for the dwarfs. And I think if I step back from that story, I think this can be used as a picture of today's society. Because what I see is a picture of a consumer culture. That identity and what we have, our consuming culture, becomes who we are. God created this wonderful world for us to experience, but not just for us to take from. And we say things like, the dwarfs are for the dwarfs. We say things like, I'm just going to look out for me. We say things like, I'm just going to get mine. We'll even go far to say, I'm just going to take care of my family and I'm not going to worry about the rest of the world. If I can ignore what's going on in the world, it won't affect me and mine. The dwarfs are for the dwarfs. And then we live lives of selfishness and for ourselves. We consume and consume just like the dwarfs, but nothing tastes good and nothing can fill us up. A consumer is a pretty name for what author Liz Wiseman calls a diminisher. And it's actually the ultimate division. You think you are getting more and more and more, but you actually end up with less and less. And in the last battle, Aslan goes on to respond about the dwarfs. Aslan says, you see, Lucy? Oh, don't get emotional. You see, Lucy? They will not let us help them. They have chosen cunning instead of belief. Their prison is only in their own minds, yet they are in that prison. And they're so afraid of being taken in that they can't be taken out. Their prison is in their own minds. We have a, a self-imposed limitation that we put on ourselves. That self-imposed limitation of fear. The fear of failure. And, and I'll be willing to go a bit further. It's actually sometimes a fear of success. A fear of what others will think. A fear of past failures. A, a fear of words that were spoken on, over us. If they only knew what I was like in high school. If they only found out the way I used to party and run through people in college. If they only found out that I used to be addicted to cocaine. If, if they only found out that, that my wife and I, all we do is fight. If they only found out that our marriage was falling apart. If they only found out that I'm not as good as I appear to be. If they only knew and we stay in prison to our own minds. And we never move on from our past. But then this is what we do. We can't move on so we try to. We try to start adding things to our life to make us feel better. 
try to add components to our life to make us check the boxes. Well, I'll just show up at church because if I just show up to church, at least people will think that, that life is okay. Well, well, if I just raise my hand a little bit during worship, then, then people might think that, that my life is, is okay. We start adding things to our life. Gabe, let me ask you this question. I know I'm calling you out. You're like, what in the world's going on? I'm going to call you out, all right? Gabe, if I came up to you and I said, hey, it's January 1st, all right, January 1st, and I'm going to give you $100,000, a lot of money. Your brother got excited because he thinks he's getting some, right? Gave you $100,000 a day for 31 straight days. No catch at all. No catch. Would you take it? You're like, this is weird. Yeah, absolutely I would. Because you would end up with about $3.1 million, right? Let me, let me back up a second. If I offered you one penny, one penny, just one, and doubled that every day for the same amount of time, what would you take? Seth's trying to do the math. He's like, one, two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64, 128. Is that right? I don't know. Something like that, right? But he's trying to do the math. I mean, if you're like me, I like, I like the addition. And most of us in this room, we would like the addition, right? We're like, yeah, $3.1 million. I'll take the $3.1 million. But if you chose that penny and you chose multiplication instead of addition, you actually end up with over $21 million. See, see, most of us in this room, what we do is we look at what is what we think would be good. I'll just add things to my life, and, and that'll make me feel good. But God has never called you to addition. God has called you to multiplication. Let me, let me get back to my notes and get back to the book. So go ahead and turn to page number one. Page number one, filling in the first four blanks. Some OCD people in the room are like, hurry up and fill in the blanks like I'm shaking here. I promise you, I'll tell you when we're filling them in, all right? And for those who cheated in school and you try to get the teacher's book because the teacher's book had all the answers in the back, we've put all the answers in the back for you that, that, that like to cheat, okay? Um, so, so the first four, let me ask you this. Will you be a diminisher or will you be a multiplier? Will you be a diminisher or will you be a multiplier? One thing that I believe is that we're all living beneath our capacity and our potential. We are all living beneath our capacity and potential. See, the enemy of multiplication can be addition. And the enemy gets us to settle for addition because he's scared of our multiplication. What is addition? It's consuming any spiritual good instead of using them to serve others. See, if we're not careful as a church, we'll get comfortable with addition. If I'm not careful as a pastor, I'll look out and go, oh, we added, we added some chairs this morning. This feels good. I'll get comfortable in addition. And God has never called us to get comfortable with addition. There's infinitely more than you realize we were made to multiply. Let's go to page number two. Let me fill these out quickly. I'll fill this whole page up for you. You need to tell yourself that I have a multiply identity, a multiply identity. Number two, this identity comes out of covenant. This identity comes out of covenant. Number three, the covenant is out of my relationship with the Father. This covenant is out of my relationship with the Father. And number four, my identity is formed by the Word of God. It's formed by the Word of God. Let me read this to you. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Let me read that one more time. Male and female. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. God has called you to multiply, not so that you can consume, but so you can spread the gospel message, so you can continually spread the kingdom of God. You need to tell yourself, I have a multiply identity. I have a multiply identity. You're not a consumer. You're a multiplier. This is what I know. If I know anything, this is what I know. The enemy absolutely hates your identity. If I know absolutely anything, he's scared of your identity for, for you to discover who you truly are. And in the words of the great theologian Dwight K. Schrute, identity theft is no joke, Jim. Thank you for the four of you who got my joke. Who screamed over here? I like you, Seth. I knew you were my favorite Hudson. I don't mean that, Matt. Love you, too. Identity theft is no joke. The enemy wants to steal your identity. Whether you believe it or not, I don't care if you believe it or not, he wants to. I don't care if you recognize it or not, it's true. Let me show you a picture on the screen. Hey, here at this church, y'all go ahead and put it up. Here at this church, we believe in like talking back and forth, okay? So I need some help this morning. Never mind, I'm not going to say that. Uh, hey, shout, shout this out. Who is this? Frankenstein. Monster? Herman Monster, like some people think it's Herman Monster. Let, let me, there you go, you're smart. So for all the people that said Frankenstein or, or Herman Monster, you're wrong. This isn't Frankenstein. Remember, it was Dr. Frankenstein. It was Dr. Frankenstein's monster. And when Mary Shelley wrote the, the novel, she never gave the monster a name. And this is why she said this. She, she did this intentionally, playing on people's fear of ambiguity, fear of not being named, and fear of not having an identity. Can I tell you that the enemy wants to take away your name and your identity and fill it with fear in that place, telling you what you're not? If we're honest with ourselves, it's running rampant in our society. Fear is running rampant. Do I get vaccinated? Do I not get vaccinated? Do I wear a mask? Do I not wear a mask? And the problem is we're living in a society that's actually rooted in fear. It has nothing to do with a virus. It has nothing to do with a vaccine. It has nothing to do with a mask or not a mask. It has everything to do with being rooted in fear. Well, one person got excited. But, but don't get excited for what I say. Let me just read the word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says this. God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love and a sound mind. The fear in your life actually comes out of identity theft. The fear in your life comes because you don't know who you are. The, the fear in your life comes from you not knowing who you are in your relationship with Jesus. You have to know where your identity comes from. Your true identity comes out of covenant. Comes out of covenant. 
Another thing that comes out of, uh, of covenant is marriage. Michael and Courtney, I'm going to use you guys as, a, in a, as an example. I'm doing your wedding in a couple months. Like, I'm excited. Are y'all excited for these two to get married? Like, they're getting, they're getting married. But, but here's the deal. Michael, if you came to me one day after you guys get married, right, a couple weeks later, and you say, Pastor, like, Courtney and I had a fight. Like, we couldn't decide what to eat for dinner. And every relationship said amen to that. <laughs> but you came to me and you said, Pastor, like, we, we, we didn't know what to eat. We got in an argument. And, and hey, can you, can you remarry us because we got in an argument? Like, like, it doesn't work that way. You're in a covenant together. It's what, it's what God spelled out in, in Scripture. They're in a covenant. Just like when we step into a relationship with Jesus, we're in a covenant. We don't fall in and out of our identity. We don't fall in and out of our blessing. Let me ask you this. Who is the devil trying to lie to today? Who, who is the enemy lying to? Who, who is he telling, hey, you're too messed up? Who is he telling you're too far gone? Who is he telling that you actually have to live plan B for your life because you've already ruined plan A? And if you're like me, I'm like on plan X, Y, and Z. Like I'm running out of the alphabet here. But who, who is the enemy lying to? Who is the enemy telling, you can't ever go back to plan A? Can I tell you that once you step into a covenant with Jesus, all that he wants is your plan A life. Now, I'm not talking about some type of prosperity gospel nonsense. What I'm talking about is he has a life and a goal and a purpose laid out for you that he wants you to live. And you can't mess up or be too far gone from what God has for you. The problem is we live that way. We, we live like we're too far gone, and the covenant is out of my relationship with the Father. If I can get you to understand anything this morning, it's that your covenant is out of relationship with the Father. Let me reread Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, catch this, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created mankind in a male-female covenant relationship. And the first commanded blessing was to become a father and a mother. To multiply. Multiplying begins with fathers and with mothers another great series that i love is star wars any star wars fan in the house Look, jake if you can raise your hand that high answering that question you can start raising your hand during worship all right like <laughs> i told you i was going to say that at the gym but i, I love it's my boy like i can pick on him right I, I, like, I like Star Wars. Now, listen, I think the original Star Wars, great, great series. Before my time, great series. But, but I, really, I really, really, really enjoy the new Star Wars movies. Like, don't hate me if I like the new ones, all right? But I think they're pretty, they're pretty good. And we, and we get a few new characters in the new Star Wars movies. We get Rey and Kylo Ren. And now, now, the thing with Rey and Kylo is there, there's a connection there. They can actually see each other's thoughts. They can actually hear each other in their, in their own heads. And, and they go through this scene, and Rey is back on Jakku. And Kylo says this, whoever you're waiting on 
Whoever you're waiting for on Jakku, they're never coming back. And then Kylo continues to say this, they were nobody. They were filthy junk traders who sold you off for drinking money. They're dead in a pauper's grave. You have no place in this story. You come from nothing and you are nothing. And then Ray's response is, get out of my head. Get out of my head. See, for many of us in the room, if we're not careful, we let the enemy talk to us that way. You're nothing. You're nobody. Because of your parents, you can never. Because of what you grew up in, you could never. Because of who you were, you could never. And can I encourage someone today to look the enemy dead in the face and say, get out of my head. Get out of my head. I'm not who you call me to be. I am who Jesus calls me. Get out of my head. The enemy is always in your head telling you lies and trying to get you to be a scavenger. The enemy will always say, say things like your identity is that you used to be a binge drinker. Your identity is you used to be hooked on cocaine. Your, your identity is you filed for bankruptcy five times. Your identity is you failed every startup you've ever attempted. Your identity is your marriage failed or it's failing, that your kids aren't following Jesus, that your parents hate you, that your family can't come together. And can I encourage you one more time, look at the enemy and say, get out of my head. Get out of my head because your identity is formed by the word of God. The enemy doesn't stop trying to steal your identity because he'll bombard you with thoughts every single day. Let me ask you this. Go ahead and grab those books and, and turn to the back. Not the back page, but like the one before it. And turn to those. Let me ask you this question. How did, how did God form Adam? It's by his word. God formed Adam by his word. And God will do the same with you if you spend time in his word. I can come up here and I can give you all types of illustrations. I, mean, I, can, I can come up here and be a hard charger and we can get after it and we can, we can worship and we can do our thing. But nothing, nothing at all will change your life like spending time in the Word of God. There's no other substitute. Not even coming to church. Go a little bit further. Not even listening to worship music. There's no substitute for getting in the Word of God. So, so what is this? It's a one-year Bible reading plan. I can talk about identity all day. I can give you the illustrations. I can give you a nugget to walk away with. But I promise you, I promise you, do it for 30 days. If I'm a liar, come call me a liar. I'll pull you up on stage and you can call me a liar in my face. 30 days. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time in the Word. We've made it easy for you. We've showed you what to read. There's a method that we use here at this church. It's called the SOAP method. And the SOAP method is, is very simple. It's an acronym, SOAP, S-O-A-P. S stands for scripture. So you'll see in week one or day one, you read a group of, of chapters and, and you pull out one scripture that stuck out to you. I actually started my one-year Bible reading plan over. And so a, a few days ago, man, the one verse that I pulled out was Psalm chapter one, verse two. And it says this, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. 
That, that was the verse that I picked out. And then, and then observation, man, what, what did you see? And this is, this is what I wrote down. It's spending time in the word that matters. The insight comes from God. The knowledge comes from God. The favor comes from God. And scripture is the insight to it all. That, that's what I observed. So scripture, observation, and then application. And how, how do I apply it to my life? It can't just start now. It has to continue. Day in and day out. It has to continue. And then the P is very simple. You pray it in. And this was my prayer. The prayer is simple. Lord, teach me to not rush. Teach me to be disciplined and to love you with all my heart, with all my mind, and with all my spirit. Teach me to love your word. Amen. It, it's, that, it's that simple. That, that's the acronym. Now what I know, Luke, go ahead and, where are you? Yeah, Luke, you're up here. Luke, you can kind of just stand up here to the side. What I know is it's, it's going to take some time to, to break it in. It's going to take some time to, to build this discipline in your life. This past week, I mean, I grew up playing baseball, love baseball. This past week, I, I texted a few of my buddies and I said, hey, give me, give me some old tricks on how you used to break in your baseball gloves. Give me some old tricks. I mean, I've seen people soak them in water. I, I've, seen, I've seen people put oil all over them to kind of loosen them up. One thing that we used to do as kids is we would actually turn on the oven and, and leave the door open and, and place the glove inside and let it bake with the door open. I mean, I've seen, I've seen other people put softballs in them and, and baseballs. Pat, this was one of your ideas, and, and wrap it up, wrap it up with rubber bands and, and just kind of wait. What we would do is we would put it underneath our mattress. I don't know, like it was a tooth fairy or something. Like we would, we would shove it in under there. And, and waking up that morning, it was like Christmas, and we would undo it. And, and we, we recognized that, that the pocket started, that pocket started to form. But, but nothing, nothing formed the glove more than, than playing catch. Luke, Division I baseball player, <laughs> you pitched. Don't hum it at me. You little kids don't want to get hurt, all right? Soft tossing. I don't even know if I can. I mean, after, after we were throwing that football, we were selling that sucker. We're just going to try, try this. But nothing, nothing broke in the glove like using it, right? Nothing broke in the glove like using it. I'm getting kind of emotional because, uh, man, when I, when I was writing this sermon, I started crying because I thought about how uh, me and my dad used to play catch a little bit. And uh, I realized nothing forms the glove. You actually text this back to me. Nothing. Nothing forms the glove. Like using it. See, what we try to do is we try to substitute. We try to substitute. Well, that ruined the illustration. Gabe, you want to grab that for me? He was the D1 player, not me. All right. It's all right, Gabe. Don't worry about it. That's called comic relief. We try to substitute how we break in the glove. We try to substitute how we break in our life. 
See, what we do to break in the glove, we want to put it in water, we want to put some rubber bands around it, we want to put it underneath a mattress. That's what we want to do. You can go ahead and sit, sit down, Luke. We, we do the same thing with our life. We substitute it. I mean, I'm just going to listen to that podcast. It'll make me feel better. Hey, I'm just going to watch that YouTube video. It's going to make me feel better. Hey, if I, can, if I can just listen to worship music, it's going to make me feel better. Nothing can substitute or nothing can be a substitute than getting in the word of God. J- just like breaking in the glove, I can't substitute scripture. J- just like breaking in, my life has to be embedded in the Bible. Listen, we're going to step into this worship song and we're going to sing one more time. But this is why we're going to sing. We're going to sing and stand and commit to turning over your life to Jesus. Saying, I'm going to get the word. There's